Welcome to The Bid, where we break down what's happening in the markets and explore the forces changing investing. I'm your host, Oscar Polito. Today, we kick off our tech mini-series. For the next month, we will explore how technology, in its many roles, is impacting society and investing. On this episode, we're talking about 5G, which simply put, is the fifth generation of cellular wireless technologies. It's the next generation of mobile tech already changing the way we work, live, and play. According to market researcher Gartner, worldwide 5G network infrastructure revenue is on pace to grow 39%, from $13.7 billion in 2020 to more than $19 billion in 2021. Today, Jeff McElfresh, CEO of AT&T Communications, joins us to break down how 5G is different than 4G, how the company plans to bridge the digital divide, and how it will change the way you use technology. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on The Bid. Oscar, it's my pleasure to be here today. So Jeff, we've been operating on the 4G network for almost a decade, and some people may be wary of a move to 5G as they've become used to the technology they have. How does 5G work, and how is it different than 4G? This is really important, and I think oftentimes we probably gloss over some of the most important fundamental differences in 5G compared to prior generations, and that is this. The 3G and the 4G upgrades to the wireless industry were really focused on one part of the network. Predominantly, that was in the cell towers, where the spectrum was radiated through the antennas and the connection to your mobile device was improved dramatically. In 4G, we saw what was possible when the smartphone really had the power to take advantage of that 4G network and its bandwidth. And so you could start to do things in applications on a smartphone that you could only do in the past with some high bandwidth fixed connection or some really, really good Wi-Fi connection. So what's different about 4G and 5G is the entire architecture from the components that connect to the internet, the switches, the big data centers, and then all of the connectivity from those locations out to your neighborhood where your cell tower connects, the architecture of that network has been completely modernized. And it's one of the reasons it takes a little bit of time to get all of the 5G capabilities deployed in the network because it's not just a simple speed upgrade. So if the architecture is completely different, what are the benefits of building out a completely new network? Three things that 5G brings to the forefront that 4G and other technologies were really challenged. The first is the obvious, speed. 5G signals that all of us get access to today give us this amazing speed boost relative to what was possible with 4G. Second is latency. I like to call that lag. How fast does the server or the application you're touching back in the cloud, how fast can you interact with that? And because the network has been re-architected from the core out to the cell site, Oscar, it has been optimized for low latency, minimal lag. And this is probably one of the most impressive potentials that 5G brings to industry and to consumers. And then the third, and this one is also not really spoken a lot about, the mindset of many connections. I can remember back in the day when the internet first began and the internet protocol was developed and the inventors of it never imagined billions of devices all trying to connect to the internet. And each technology upgrade in order to really create scale lifts in capacity, you had to re-architect 
the entirety of the network, not just the last mile. And so 5G opens the door to increase the number of connections to the 5G networks. 10 years ago, you might have had two or three devices connected to the network. Today, you might have upwards to 50 or 60, and that number is only going to grow. And so I think those three capabilities, speed, latency, otherwise known as lag, and capacity are the three major upgrades with 5G over 4G. These are incredible improvements. So how do we see this playing out in the real world? 5G opens the door for us to increase the number of connections to the 5G networks. And this is important for things like autonomous vehicles or sensors or smart cities as devices are scattered around the locales in order to detect things like energy consumption, crosswalks, traffic light signals, up to cars driving and talking to the network autonomously in order to improve reliability or safety and potentially being able to route traffic without a human driver in the vehicle, all the way to things like in your house, your apartment or your residence. And for gamers that are listening or folks that cover the gaming sector, understand how latency and lag is really important. It becomes a competitive advantage. Or if you happen to be in the equities business and you're trading stocks or commodities in the market, the faster you can get the information and react to it, maybe the more successful you can be. And that's all about lag. Well, you've definitely made 5G sound indispensable when you described all the benefits that it brings. So it seems like great timing that 5G started to get rolled out just when people needed to be more connected, there was more devices, you needed more reliability. Is that fair to say? Well, it's certainly fair to observe, although, to be honest, that was never part of the deployment plan. But one of the big differences with 5G, Oscar, was the time. One thing industry did is actually deploying 5G hardware before the software was complete. Because of the way the design of the architecture had been built, the equipment itself, it enabled us to move much faster. I mean, work has shifted and demands and networks shift from what you would ordinarily see in the city at peak busy hour, that traffic was now distributed very broadly into places where all of us live and play more so than work. And the demand for bandwidth itself is not slowing down, whether it's served up with 5G or with Wi-Fi, which has never really been tested like it had been tested during the pandemic. You know, I've always had really decent download speeds at my home, whether I'm using Wi-Fi or I'm plugged into an Ethernet port. But my upload speeds really challenged my production quality of my video with fiber. It's basically symmetrical. And so it's multi-gigabit downlink and multi-gigabit uplink. Okay, Jeff, let me stop you there. Why are you talking about fiber in a 5G podcast? More important than 5G itself was the prerequisite that we needed to deploy a lot more fiber to support 5G. And if you don't do that, then all of the benefits that we've engineered into the 5G network standards, all of the benefits you get from all the spectrum and the radio waves that are hanging on our towers, you'll never get the full potential of 5G without that fiber. If you think that the demand curve for bandwidth is going to grow at 30%, 50%, 15%, suffice it to say that fiber itself, as close as you can get it to the consumer that's needing that bandwidth, the better off you are. You will never be able to satisfy the complete demand with just a wireless-only solution. And Jeff, when you think about 5G and the infrastructure investments that are being made 
one of the concerns is that it's still not broadly available. It's mostly in cities. I have availability to it. And in some parts of the country, even just basic internet access is still a problem. So let's focus a little bit on this divide between those areas of the country or those households that have it and those that don't. How do we bridge that divide? The way I process what I believe to be one of the most significant challenges that our nation faces, certainly for us that are participants in this industry, is first of all, you got to recognize you're not going to solve everything overnight. We can erect a cell tower, create coverage in an area, and provide for broadband connectivity. But that's not as competitive and as compelling as higher speed 5G, fiber-based services, as you noted, in the city, you enjoy it. But in more rural parts of the nation, they're generally the last to get it in the technology upgrades. How do we accelerate that? We do it in ways that are private-public partnerships. We do it leaning in with the government and with local participants in the community. And as you think about engineering and getting permitting and digging the trenches that are needed to lay the infrastructure the jobs that that creates, this isn't something that moves overnight. And so things like companies that are part of the industry and other participants in the industry like device manufacturers or local municipalities that have to support programs that are in their local townships, coming to the table along with federal funds that have been developed as part of the bipartisan infrastructure bill that the federal government is currently pursuing and discussing. And we are really encouraged by that. This is going to take a prolonged effort. We just got to get started. Yeah, that's a fair point. There's no one solution. It takes time. It takes partnership between the public and private sector, as you noted. Somebody who's been in the industry for a long time, I am encouraged. I am encouraged by what I see occurring in this space of infrastructure and specifically in the telecommunications and the broadband space, I am really encouraged. If you're optimistic, then I'm optimistic as well. Sticking with optimism, I want to talk about the speed of innovation. We are certainly leaps and bounds from where we were even just a few decades ago. Do you think innovation can continue at this pace? Yeah, it is. It's advancing at a faster pace, I think. We probably saw in the last tech cycle, Oscar, you saw more radical advancements in the device go from flip phone, candy bar phone, to capacitive touchscreen with the iPhone launching to now every smartphone is a capacitive touchscreen, pane of glass kind of device. And now we're seeing some small incremental improvements in that technology, a little better camera, a little better processor, a little better memory. You're not seeing a lot of incremental investments on the device side, like you were maybe, call it a decade ago, on the infrastructure side. And unfortunately, consumers, CIOs, customers, like I'm one of them, like I don't care about all that. I just want the stuff to work. But being a network engineer on the inside, I am seeing advancements in this space occur at half the time it took in the last cycle. So if consumers aren't focused on the infrastructure side and how fast it's advancing, what can they get excited about? I will share a recent personal story that I think will bring it home. This is just Jeff talking and not something that's in a product pipeline, but what if? Just thinking with an open mind for a minute that the star of 4G was actually the device. What if the star of 5G is actually the network? Just thinking, just open your mind just for a moment, okay? I was just last week at my daughter's state tennis match. And as I watched everybody observing the high school tennis team compete, every single one of us were on our smartphones. We were taking videos, we were posting them to friends. 
And my daughter's tennis coach, somebody that has been with her when she was very little, who was not there at the match, is dying to know how is she playing. Now, I'm an amateur. I don't know really much. But to try to tell you how fast was my daughter's serve. And I sat there thinking, you know, if with 5G, to put the computing power of the internet at the edge of the network and connect the device that I'm holding in my hand to a low latency, low lag, high bandwidth, then the application itself to maybe measure my daughter's tennis game doesn't have to sit in the device. It sits in the edge of the network where there's more resources. So when you hear people in industry talk about edge computing, think about this example. With a $20 camera and a gigabit connection or a 100 megabit connection with low latency to an edge that's running the application that watches the tennis ball, can tell me how fast it is, what spin rate is on the ball, and whether or not that's an average serve, an above average serve, or a below average serve. That is possible with 5G today. And I believe you're going to see things like autonomous vehicles that need cameras, that need a low latent connection back to the cloud, will have that connection over our network to the edge compute locations. And it will know what to do in a traffic situation, how to turn and steer, and they won't have to have a crate computer sitting in this vehicle itself times a million vehicles. And so if you can pull that to the network and you can prove that you can be that productive and making the network itself the power, then the cost of the device becomes less of a barrier to enter. It opens the mind for inventors and creators to think about how to use the network differently. With a simple camera, you could actually score a tennis match. And in fact, at the U.S. Open there in your city, where for the first time we actually used a camera to declare when a ball was in and the ball was out, whereas we used to use line judges and they would call the ball. And so just thinking about that capability or that possibility, I would challenge what industry couldn't benefit from that. Most of the early adopters and the use cases are coming out of our enterprise space, where large-scale auto manufacturing factories or what we call dark production lines. You don't actually need humans. You just use sensors. And industry has been able to prove that you can create a much more productive, lower error rate fab facility using sensors and devices as opposed to having humans occupy the floor. That's more of a test bed to prove out what those edge compute platforms can do. I think you get this in the hands of musicians, artists, sports, real-time sports, That opens the door to sports betting. That makes the experience of sports even more immersive. Augmented reality, where I will no longer block the view of my daughter playing tennis with my smartphone. I have it on my glasses, and it's part of a lens that I can actually see. Things like that, I think, are going to be possible. Well, now it's starting to sound very futuristic when you gave that example of the glasses. But I guess the key takeaway is that these technologies would be, and tell me if I'm thinking about this correctly, almost kind of in bite-sized form. These aren't like these big mainframe computers that technology type stuff that you're thinking about, but you're talking about stuff that sort of sits in the palm of our hand that is benefiting from the 5G network. Yeah, that's correct. You're going, wow, how did I live without it? And that's the point that once we see this technology make its way out into all aspects of the creative sense, you'd be shocked at what innovators will do with it. And that's why I get really excited and I'm pressured. I feel it. We know you hit a tipping point. I can't tell you when that tipping point's going to happen, but there will come a time when it occurs and we'll all look back and say, wow. Well, Jeff, thanks for painting a, a picture of what's to come. 
We appreciate you joining us on the bid today. Man, I am so delighted to join you, Oscar. It's nice to spend some time with you. And hey, congratulations. Get back in there in the studio, my friend. Good luck to you. Thank you. Hello, this is Jeff McElfresh with AT&T. I want to call your attention to our safe harbor statement, which says, some of our comments may be forward-looking, subject to risk and uncertainties. Results may differ materially. You can find further information on our website or in our SEC filings. This information is for informational purposes only and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecasts made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. The information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not get back the amount invested. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. In the U.K. and non-European economic area, EEA, countries, this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management, U.K. Limited, authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, registered office 12 Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N2DL. Telephone, plus 44020-7743-3000. Registered in England and Wales, number 02020394. For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. Please refer to the Financial Conduct Authority website for a list of authorized activities conducted by BlackRock. In the European Economic Area, EEA, this is issued by BlackRock Netherlands BV, is authorized and regulated by the Netherlands Authority for the Financial Markets. Registered Office, Amstelplein 1, 1096HA, Amsterdam. Telephone, 020-549-5200. Telephone, 3120-549-5200. Trade Register Number, 1706-8311. For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. For investors in Switzerland, this is marketing material. In Singapore, this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited, company registration number 20001014 n This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management North Asia Limited and has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management Australia Limited ABN 13006165. 975-AFSL-230523-BIMAL. BIMAL. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. Before making any investment decision, you should assess whether the material is appropriate for you and obtain financial advice tailored to you having regard to your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, and circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund, nor shall any shares be offered or sold to anyone in any jurisdiction in which an offer, solicitation, purchase, or sale would be unlawful under the securities law of that jurisdiction.
If any funds are mentioned or inferred to in this material, it is possible that some or all of the funds may not have been registered with the securities regulator of Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Mexico, Panama, Peru, Uruguay, or any other securities regulator in any Latin American country, and thus may not be publicly offered within any such country. The securities regulators of such countries have not confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein. The provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the investment services guide available at www.blackrock.com forward slash MX. Copyright 2021, BlackRock Incorporated. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Incorporated. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.